And um, if you want to follow the readings, there's uh, one very short reading and one quite long reading from Matthew's Gospel. As uh, we just enter Advent, and uh, Advent we look forward to the coming of Jesus. And uh, he has come, and he's coming again. So from Matthew chapter 4, verse 17... From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then going back a few chapters, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 16, as Matthew begins his gospel. It's a long list of names. Those of you who are Hebrew scholars will forgive me if I pronounce anything wrong. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thank you very much. I was tempted just to call on someone and say, would you do a reading this morning? You know. I wonder what comes to mind when you think of a revolutionary. I uh, grew up uh, with friends who would have posters of revolutionaries on their wall. One of the most popular posters was Che Guevara. Remember that poster? I have a sneaky suspicion that none of my friends actually knew who he was, (laughs) or where he was born, or what he actually did. But the definition in the dictionary for revolution is causing a complete and dramatic change. So I think a lot of my friends, and me too at the time, because I wasn't a believer in Jesus, miss the fact that Jesus is the most revolutionary radical of all time. And we should have posters of him on our wall. 
although they tend to have blonde hair and blue eyes, which doesn't. You see, Jesus brought the most complete and dramatic change to the world. Everything changed because of Jesus. History split into two because of Jesus. Maybe your life has changed because of Jesus. Someone once said that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings and queens who have ever reigned, if you put them all together, they've not affected the life of people on earth as much as just Jesus. Just Jesus. But for some, Jesus is not really considered. For many years, I had no interest in Jesus. For others, I know that they think Jesus is a good man. I've heard that. A great teacher, I've also heard that. But for many, Jesus is meek and mild, and he's tamed and domesticated. Not dangerous at all, but Jesus is dangerous. Or he remains the baby in the manger, the nativity scene. And we forget that Jesus grew to be the most radical, dangerous revolutionary who ever lived. And who died on the cross. He wasn't crucified for being a good man. That's not what he was charged with. He wasn't crucified for being a preacher of pithy parables. He was not crucified for being a miracle worker. He was crucified because he was a threat to all the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms and on earth. As a baby, he was a threat to King Herod. We'll be hearing the story of the Magi in a few weeks when they come asking Herod, where is the one to be born king of the Jews? What a thing to ask Herod, who was king of the Jews. And those who knew the prophecies which Elizabeth beautifully read for us this morning. But you, Bethlehem, though you are but small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come a king, a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from eternity. It led Herod to massacre the innocents in Bethlehem. Jesus was crucified because he was a threat. He was crucified because he claimed to be God. He was crucified because he claimed to be a king. Yes, he did. When he rode into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, he rode on the foal of a donkey. It was a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. See, your king comes to you. There was no doubting that Jesus knew he was a king. Now, we know that Jesus came to die for this world. He came to die for you and me. He came to give his life for us. But notice when he began preaching, he chose the most incendiary word to announce his revolution. It's the word kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. And the king himself has come.
Today, the word kingdom perhaps has lost its edge in a world of democratic republics, constitutional monarchies. We live in the United Kingdom. Not so united at times. I'm aware of my passport. I'm a citizen of the United Kingdom, although I know I'm not, really. I'm a citizen of heaven, but it wouldn't look good if I scratched it out. I think I might get arrested. In the first century Roman world, world, the word kingdom was explosive. It was a world where kings and queens could execute their enemies without trial, could slaughter hundreds of babies in a fit of rage. A world where rulers brooked no rivals and where sedition was quickly silenced. It's not so different today in parts of our world. Equatorian New Guinea, if you don't know, they've just re-elected their president for the sixth term. He's a complete dictator, and he won 95% of the public vote. In a world where few messages were more dangerous than the kingdom of heaven is near, is coming, is here. You see, if Jesus is king... Caesar is not. If Jesus is king, Herod is not. If Jesus is king, no one else is. There is no one higher, no one greater, no one worthy of honor more than King Jesus. This was revolutionary talk of the highest order. And after three years of his public ministry, Jesus was arrested and put on trial. He stood before the Jewish highest court, the Sanhedrin. He stood before King Herod. He stood before Pilate, who was there on behalf of the Roman emperor. And he was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of treason. Anyone who claims to be king is not a friend of Caesar's, was one of the arguments. He was tortured and crucified And when he was nailed to the cross, they nailed a sign above him which just read, This is the King of the Jews. That was Pilate's decision. The Jewish authorities didn't want that. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving his victory over sin and death. And within a generation, the Jewish state had been crushed by Rome, temple destroyed. And the kingdom of God was spreading across the whole Roman Empire. Within 300 years, the Roman emperor himself worshipped at the feet of Jesus and proclaimed him king of kings. And nearly now, well, over 2,000 years later, We have gathered this morning and we have worshipped and we have proclaimed Jesus as king. I don't know if you noticed that in some of the songs. Thank you, Henry. He is by far the most worshipped, most followed, most loved person in the world. Google his name. I don't know what you've Googled recently. I was so heartened to find that across the Middle East, particularly the Arabian Peninsula, Jesus' name has been Googled a lot. 
But if you Google his name, you'll find 170 million websites to visit. If you type his name into Amazon.com, there are other booksellers, obviously, and you can choose from 405,000 books about Jesus. Although I would recommend one. Still, visit any city, town, or village, and you'll find a church that bears his name here in the UK. But we're still at the beginning of the revolution. The gospel continues to ring out around the world. Matthew was one of his disciples, one of the original 12. You'll know that he was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman Empire. He wasn't very popular. Jesus chose him. And when he met Jesus, everything changed. He stopped being a tax collector and became a follower of Jesus. And he wants us to do the same, which is why he wrote his gospel. And if you read Matthew's gospel, he uses the word kingdom 56 times in 28 chapters. He wants us to know that King Jesus and the nature of his kingdom is one of love and grace. And that he fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament. I know when we read Matthew chapter 1, it's, it's kind of, it doesn't have the impact that it would have had to Matthew's original readers. Have you ever watched the program, Who Do You Think You Are? I'm surprised no one's done that about Jesus. Every filmmaker, every novelist knows that the opening scene or the words of their film or book are the crucial moment either to win or lose the attention of the audience. James Bond films spend so much of their time on the opening five minutes of their films. So many resources and thinking and writing goes into it because they know that's the moment that you grab the audience. And Matthew knew that too. God inspired him to begin his gospel, the whole New Testament, with a genealogy. Now, when we watch Who Do You Think You Are? Celebrities look into their family trees, all wanting to learn whether their ancestors were good, worthy, or noble people. What will they find? Villains or heroes? I'm sure it's deliberately chosen to be as more dramatic as possible. Imagine if your family tree was just boring, probably like mine, you know. <laughs> you know, Hermes and Karis' DNA is just amazingly exotic. Mine's just boring. My family never walked out of Lincolnshire, apparently. <laughs> but if you know this family tree of Jesus, it is full of heroes and villains. It would have grabbed people's attention. They would have gone, wow, the Messiah, the Christ, that's in his family tree. Not such a problem with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. But then you come to Judah. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Judah had a bit of a mixed time, if you read his story. And his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is mentioned, whom he slept with. 
and had children with and in the family line. Then there's Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho who hid the spies. And there's Ruth, a widowed migrant worker from the land of Moab, a Gentile, not a Jew. There's the wife of Uriah, don't know why they didn't say Bathsheba, but the wife of Uriah, who David had an affair with and then made sure that Uriah was killed in battle. It's not glorious, is it? And it includes some of the wickedest kings in Judah's history, Rehoboam, Jehoram, Ahaz, Manasseh, to list a few. Matthew's listeners would have been riveted. And he wants them just to grasp two simple truths that lie at the heart of the kingdom of God and Jesus' kingdom revolution. The first thing he wants them to grasp is that the kingdom of God is about God coming to save humanity. The uniqueness of Christianity is Matthew wants us to know that religion cannot save. Remember, he's writing predominantly to Jews. We don't know Matthew's story of why he kind of chose to serve the Roman Empire and he would have not been a, a good Jew. But when he meets Jesus, he finds something radical that he wants to be a follower of Jesus. And he probably knows that religion is empty and it's about us trying to reach God out of our own resources rather than God reaching down to us, which is what Jesus did. Even yesterday, Hermie was having a chat with someone across the table at the golf uh, club afterwards and I heard someone say, but I'm not religious. Hermie said, neither am I. It's about the kingdom of God coming. Matthew makes it clear in his gospel that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, so that we might be us with God. God with us, so us with God, through Jesus Christ, who exchanged the highest glories of heaven for the lowest depths of humanity. He humbled himself and became a human being just like us. And because he became fully human, he was able to save from sin because he offered a perfect life. No one had ever been sinless. Jesus gave his sinless life for us. And it's received by simple faith, simple trust in Jesus. And no matter our failures... They can never outstrip his grace. He came to save sinners. Those who would acknowledge that they need saving. To us, Matthew's genealogy may just read like a long list of names that we don't know anything about. But it was deliberate. Because it introduces the Messiah as one who gets involved in the messiness of this world. And who came to rescue and transform this world. The clues are there right from the start. The kingdom that Jesus ushers in is one that is better by far. And we'll remember in a few weeks his birth in a stable, not a palace. 
Notice that in his family line, there are Gentiles as well, speaking of the future nature of the kingdom for the whole world. And he came for anyone humble enough to cry out for a savior. And when you meet Jesus, you know that you have found the humble king, the greatest revolutionary and radical of all time. So this Advent season, as we prepare yet again to celebrate the coming of Jesus, let's once again invite Jesus to be our king. Because if Jesus is king in our heart, no one else is. Nothing else is. Let him rule and reign over our lives. And Advent is also about the return of the king. One of my favorite films, by the way, in the Tolkien trilogy, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Watch it over Christmas. Or if you're really daring, watch the whole nine hours of the three And let's be praying, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if Jesus isn't your king today, you're here and Jesus isn't your king, and you want to find out more, just speak to Edward and I would love to talk to you about King Jesus. Or maybe today you want to invite him into your life. It's really simple. Just say, sorry, I'm sure, I'm sure Carl won't, let me, uh, won't mind me telling you this story. Carl Hofstead. We all remember Carl, don't we? Beautiful man. His wife Joan has come to know Jesus. He has prayed and prayed for years and years and years. He has witnessed for years and years and years. He has loved that woman into the kingdom. He rang me up and he said, she said, yes, I don't know what to do. Is there a prayer I can say? And I said, just very simple. Sorry, please, thank you. Oh, yeah, I can remember that. Sorry for my sins. Please come into my life, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've saved me. She said it out loud. First time she missed the name of Jesus out. He said, no, no, no. (laughs) Got to do it properly. She did. And they're praying together every night. The kingdom of God has come. And he's coming all the time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask Henry and the band to come back. We're going to